Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Romans Empire Pod, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. Now, guys, I'm not alone today. Zach has had a healthy recovery, and he's here with me today. Zach, how are you feeling? I'm I'm good. I'm good. Uh, Super Bowl champs, baby. Got to shout out the Rams really quick. Um, reverse shout out to the Bengals. I know Sam is, uh, even though he's not here with us today, Sam's a diehard Bengals fan. He bought the Joey, uh, the Joey Burrow glasses, the Joe Shiesty glasses, as he likes to call them. The jacket. He even bought like a shirt. giant orange <laughs> puffer jacket to match, and he went full Joey Burrow, Joe Shiesty, and uh, got shiested in the end. So, yeah. So I had so... to do a, I had to do a wellness check on him last night just to make sure he was okay, not lying in a ditch face down somewhere. Right, so Psalm, Psalm's not here today, not because of the snakes. He's magically recovered from that. Uh, we're uh, giving him not only just a mental health day, but uh, <laughs> he's unfortunately stuck at work with a lot of lawyering to catch up on after a, a very happy weekend that ended very poorly for him. But let's talk Chelsea. That's why we're here. We are officially world champs. Zach, we're world champs. I had to Google it. What? I had to Google what our title would be if we won this because world champs just doesn't like it just kind of sounds weird. But, <laughs> but, no, but this is legit. Like this isn't like when the NFL calls themselves world champions for playing a sport that's only played in one country. Yeah. We yeah. represented Europe in an intercontinental tournament and won. Yeah. World champs, maybe. I know. Gold I know. patch on the jersey. For all I mean, international is, competitions, baby. This is one of the only cups that we haven't won. I think the this was cup. the only one that was left that's even available. Yep. That we haven't yep. won. Last last trophy that we were missing, and it made Chelsea the fifth club in Europe to win every major trophy that the club competes in. And Chelsea now joins Juventus, Bayern, Ajax, and Man United in this uh in this list, actually. Did uh so, was this around when Liverpool won it? I thought we were Liverpool, the third English team. So Liverpool is the third English team, but Liverpool has never won the Europa League. Oh. So they have not completed this the kind of the cabinet per se. Uh, same thing for for the likes of Madrid and Barcelona. They have never won the Europa League. So. Yeah, yeah, but, but listen, Madrid and Barcelona have just been so good <laughs> that they haven't been able. Hey, to Barcelona's suck, in the Europa to League. Suck right enough now. to make the Europa League. But Liverpool has only either sucked or been really good. There hasn't been an in-between. And fortunately hey. for us, we're usually only in-between. So. so here's the thing, though. We, along with Man United, can say we've, done, we've won it all. Liverpool cannot. So that's a checkmark yeah. and a dub for us. But, uh, Zach, I mean, I, I had that solo pod last week, and I think I predicted everything to the T. I mean, two to one victory, extra time. Palmeiras playing with their hearts and Chelsea not creating enough. Like, is there anything that shocked you from this? Like, how were you feeling going into this? Just like a quick, like, how were you feeling about the Palmeiras game before going um, back to just celebrating? I knew what to expect. I knew that they were going to come out and, um, you know, try to press us high and, you know, force us to make mistakes in the back because that's really the only way they're going to break us down. You know, most of these South American sides are usually technical, like you said last week. They were in a sense, but um, 
you could clearly tell that their game plan was, you know, we'll we'll try to nick a goal on the counter. Otherwise, we're going to park the bus. This is going into the second half. Because the first half, they yeah. did press us high. And then an extra time, their game plan just completely flipped, and they were playing for pens. They weren't even looking to score. So I guess if I was shocked about one thing, no, Andres, I do want to point this out. It's uh, that they had a guy out there that was smaller than Conte. Doo-doo. Yeah, doo-doo. And he was doo-doo. It's like actual <laughs> doo-doo. Um, yeah, super short guy. Dude, he was next to Conte, and he was a good like inch and a half shorter. And Conte is even thicker than him, too. Like I'm looking at Conte's legs and shoulders. Conte's broader <laughs> than this guy. And it's just like, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it was also a trip to see a former LAFC player. Uh, play against Chelsea. A, a Tuesta, right? A Tuesta. Yeah, yeah. The guy that the guy that tried that got the yellow winding up Dave. Yeah, he, uh, he learned he learned how to talk shit here in LA. So there you go. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I want to go back to the the plaudits here. So Roman and Aspie complete European football at Chelsea. So since the Roman Abramovich era, I think it's been what 19 years. He's now officially won everything. And in less time, because Dave joined after 2012, so what is that, 22 to 10 years' time, Aspilicueta won every major trophy at Chelsea. And I believe as captain, he's won every major trophy outside of the Carabao (laughs) Cup. Uh, Did he win a league with us? Yes. Oh, he won the league, but he wasn't technically captain yet. I take that back. JT. Cahill Cahill was still the captain. Oh, no. Yeah, I guess JT was the the main captain, but he didn't. He play was a vice captain. captain. No, no, it was it was JT and then and then Cahill. Mm. And it's just that JT never played, and then Aspie would wear the armband here and there. Yeah, so, okay. yeah So he needs the he would have needed the league as captain and the Carabao Cup. So he's he'll be just not the captain of the league trophies that he's won. So again, yeah. reminder is just that. Aspie's the only player to do it, and Abramovich in 19 years of ownership, I mean, that's just something that can't go, like, it just can't pass by without noting, because you have con- you have whole countries backing teams, and they still can't win every trophy. So Abramovich, for those that keep saying is, is uninterested or isn't, you know, really supporting Chelsea the way they used to, Apparently, the players were extremely nervous about this tournament because of Abramovich and how much he wanted this last trophy. <laughs> so, yeah. just want to put that in as well. So, congrats to our owner and our podcast namesake on completing football with Chelsea. Uh, last but not least in this is Thomas Tuchel. You know, he he had COVID, missed the semis, he missed the FA Cup, but... He flew in the night before um, after I believe he said three drives towards the airport throughout the week where as he pulled up to the airport, he was told he still had COVID. (laughs) So (laughs) the guy tried, tried, tried again. He said he had one more chance to actually go uh, to Abu Dhabi the morning of. But luckily enough, he didn't have to go, like you know, right for kickoff. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, we're a little over a year into Tuchel's reign, and we had an FA Cup final appearance, Champions League trophy, UEFA Super Cup champs, Club World Cup champs. We are qualified for the Carabao Cup final, which we play later this month. I, I mean, the man's done a lot. I, I, I'll go into Ron's question first, Zach. He says in the short time he's been here, 
uh, should we consider Thomas Tuchel the best manager we've had in the Roman Abramovich era? Three cups and five finals in a little over a year is pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, listen, he, he backed it up. I, granted that he he hasn't been here long enough to, you know, win the Premier League and, you know, only one FA Cup appearance. And I think that was his first cup final appearance with us. So he was still, you know, only a couple months into the job at that point. And if Pulisic and Aspie didn't pop their hammies, that would have helped out too. Um, Wrong FA Cup final, buddy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that was Lampard's. Oh, yeah, that was Frank's. It was the the VAR, like, millimeter calling Chilwell offside when you guys were here in Houston. Yep, 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 yep. Now I remember. Yeah. All right, don't, all right I semi-remember. Let's put it that way. We drank a there lot. There you go. Um, no, I, I think hands down he, he has to be, if not the best manager, at least in the conversation. I know some people will probably put Jose there just because of the amount of trophies that he's won just a sheer volume. The guy was a serial winner at one point, but I think Tuchel is, has surpassed him personally. Um, you know, even though we haven't won um, the league yet, all the evidence was there when the squad was healthy that, you know, we we were definitely going to compete yeah. if, health, if, you know, our health didn't interrupt us or get in the way. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that because it was reported, I think it was Nazar Kinsella that was saying that, after this week, Tuchel and, and Roman and the board had discussions and and the, the general consensus with the board is that they're beyond happy with Tuchel and that the league form right now is due to COVID and injuries, not because of what Tuchel has done Manager. with the squad. So yeah. uh, that gives me a little bit of peace of mind because, you know, we're not very patient when it comes to managers. Now, do I think Tuchel is the best manager we've ever had i think he's on his way and i think that roman will now show a little bit more patience than before mainly because he's won everything i really do think that now that the cabinet of trophies is full i think now he's gonna back the manager and i think he's gonna let tuchel have a fair shot at creating a dynasty the way that pep and klopp have gotten at their respective clubs I think I think that's where football's at now. I, you know, a few years ago, it was it was a norm for teams to hire and fire within two or three years, and now you're starting to see you know a bit of longevity build at teams. Like you even look outside the Premier League, because the obvious ones. I mean, you have Liverpool and City invested in their manager speaks for themselves. Arsenal's well on their way to investing in their manager. Tottenham was planning to do that, but just doesn't know how to keep a manager happy, and they also hired the most grumpy manager in world football. But then, the like short-term manager in world football, short-term as well. manager. Um, but but you look around the rest of Europe, Andres. I mean, Bayern invested in a young manager as well. You mm-hmm. know, like the, uh, there's other clubs out there. Look what Barcelona's trying to do with Xavi. They're trying to bring that style back now. It's it, it's a new trend, and I don't think it's a coincidence that Chelsea is you know being smart about this. And I'm really glad to see you know that that report did come out because. I want to say Tuchel has been the least polarizing manager. In the, in recent memory, I don't want to say in Abramovich era, but indefinitely in recent memory, I think the you know the majority of people are going to say that they're they're delighted with him. Um, 
I just think you have to give him the time. You know, this is this is one of those situations where if we fuck this up, <laughs> we only have ourselves to blame. So, yeah, it, it's definitely the time to back him. And I think, you know, with the style of football we played as well, you know, he backed himself up. We were def- we were the best defense in the league and we were also creating the most chances. I think um I just think it was phenomenal when we were healthy and it's going to be that way next season when these guys come back and reach James and Chilwell. So, you know, long may it continue. Yeah. And not just that, I think he also has proven that his requests going into the summer were legitimate. The injuries came and they unfortunately came in the exact positions that he was looking to add players. Right. Mm -hmm. We needed another wing back at one point we were down to like Loftus cheek and Barkley at center mid. Mm-hmm. So a center mid he wanted, you know, he, he never got it. And, and it's already reported that we're not extending Saul. So that was not even his guy. Um, he got the striker. We know we've, we've discussed Lukaku plenty. Not sure if it was his choice more so than, you know, Abramovich seeing that a striker that could score goals was available rather than going for what Tuchel was looking for. But at the end of the day, I think the fact that he continues to win trophies, we are comfortably in third place right now behind City and Liverpool, and we're comfortably in first place before shit hit the fan. So, I, yeah, I think he's got the green light, and I, I expect a big, big summer that will finally – I don't know if it will give us the final product of what a Tuchel Chelsea will look like, but I think it will make strides in that direction. I just hope that at some point uh, in his tenure, we see JT and Tuchel in a dugout together. I like I, I really I really would like to see JT on Chelsea's bench at some point because it's important. You know, everybody kind of knows but doesn't really want to say that JT is eventually going to coach us at some point. I think that's fair to say. So why not have him learn from, you know arguably the best manager in world football right now i don't know it's just the thought i think jt right now is too busy with his nfts so whenever <laughs> that phase of his life moves through and and i'm i'm obviously being facetious apparently he does it for charity but he was he was very dedicated to getting his licenses and then he went off to aston villa uh i don't know what his role is currently within chelsea i know he's back but yeah i agree i i think it would be a huge, huge thing for him to to take up kind of how Arteta was under Pep. Mm-hmm. But when the time comes, you have kind of a, your transition plan. Obviously, I mean, just we both hope that it's not immediate. We hope that maybe he'll he'll coach the academy under the same maybe yeah. formation and tactics as Tuchel. That way, should Tuchel leave or or decide to maybe who knows maybe next thing for Tuchel is managing the German national side in a future World Cup. Maybe then it's like a natural transition for Terry to step in. Well, that's what um, I'm saying. Again, and when I'm, the time comes. I'm also salivating at the thought of him and Thiago Silva in the same dressing room. Uh, I mean, that's another guy that could just decide to stay at Chelsea and coach here. And coach. Himself. Oh, I would. I would hand him a job in two seconds. Yeah, that would be such a great opportunity for him. That's another guy that I, I guess we didn't even talk about before we get really into the game. Thiago Silva. Uh Another interview came out this week where he said that PSG didn't even offer him one pound to stay. 
he wasn't offered anything to stay at PSG. He comes to Chelsea and wins every trophy that he thought he was going to win at PSG that was missing for him personally. Like his wife had posted after the Champions League how it had been such a journey in their career to get to that point. And then not only that, but then as a Brazilian to win the Club World Cup must have been just like the cherry on top. So, again, the guy's blue through and through. So happy for him. Um, yeah, he was he was big in that game. And it was he won uh, the player of the tournament, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and he only played two games. And he also won defender of the tournament, too. Um, no, I, I thought it was uh, really ironic that he got called for the handball. And, like, I know there's a lot of debate Unlucky. about it. Listen, it, the ref did the ref called it both ways at the end of the day. But fair, fair. I just I you know, this is a, again, it's it's just the guy that you can rely on, even if he makes a mistake by giving up a penalty, even though he didn't intend to. He can still bounce back and have just a ridiculous performance and a ridiculous impact. And and the crazy thing with him, Andres, is I always call him the Brazilian JT because I genuinely he genuinely reminds me of JT. He has a better range of passing than John Terry does. Um, I also think John Terry was a bit better in the air too. But he's they, taller. They, I mean, he, I hope he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But Thiago's great in the air. I mean, he gets he scores a lot of goals. But the the thing that you know that I see in both of them is that lack of speed being made up by their football IQ. They are never breaking out in a full sprint because they're so intelligent at reading the game two, three, four passes ahead of time and positioning themselves in the right place. It's, it's, it's just ridiculous how smart of a player he is. And it's almost inevitable that, you know, if he's between the ball and the goal and somebody's shooting it, that, that he's going to block it. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's just, it's been unbelievable from him. And what is he now? 37 years old. And he's still, he's still going, you know, I, I know we got him for another year, but I, I like, I, I think he could play to 40. If he really wanted to, maybe not at Chelsea, but right, you know the the quality is definitely there for him to have a just a really really long long career even from now. I think he could play another three or four years. Yeah, he'll be 38 at the beginning of next season. So I, by the time that his time runs out, he'll be pushing 39. Um, but anyway, you mentioned a lot about the match, so let's just kind of get into it. Uh, Abu Dhabi Saturday evening. Playing against Palmeiras, Chelsea, surprising at least to me, decides to stick to the 3-4-3, consisting of Mendy in goal. Uh, I mean, a lot of talk about Kepa. Sorry, Kepa. Thank you for getting us there. Putting your number one keeper in a final, you can't really argue with that. Uh, back three of Christian Santiago and Rudiger. Aspie at right wing back. Conte and Kovacic in the middle. Cho left back. Left wing back, not so sorry for Alonso because he was trash versus Al-Hilal. And Jorginho was left out as a tactical omission. I believe that the thought process there is that the physicality of the Brazilian like style Palmeiras midfield would be too much on Jorginho. And then a front three of Mount, Lukaku, and Havertz. Mount being the surprise here because Ziyech had been so good. And because Mount also didn't play midweek, apparently he was battling a knock. Got the start here, but then was an early sub after uh, a player landed on his ankle about the 20th minute. Uh, Tuchel said that it was uh, his it was ligaments and that it, the the ligaments were hurt bad. And Zach, you were mentioning something about a scan. 
Yeah, they said that he's he's gonna get scans by the time this pod drops. I mean, it's Monday night right now, so by the time the pod drops, we'll probably know what it is. But um, yeah, they were worried um, of a potential fracture, is what I was seeing reports of. I don't know how valid those reports were, but if that's the case, and we're looking at you know maybe a month, two month, at least a month to two months, as opposed to two or three weeks, so. I hope he's back soon, but but here's the thing. Again, I mean, we 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 have Ziyech, who's been more than serviceable. I mean, he's arguably been our best attacker for you know the last couple weeks. So, you know, he's going to be fully prepared to step in. And another bright side is that we got a, a really nice cameo of Pulisic, which we'll get to a little bit later. But that's yep. another guy that we could potentially rely on in that position as well. So. It's nah, not the I, end of the world, but again, you know, it does it does affect our pressing game. It does affect our style. You know, Mount is the one right. that he very much is the one that starts the press and sets the tone up front in terms of you know our defensive tactics. Right. In terms of the offensive tactic, I think something we might see a lot of if we decide to go back to the four one four one is is potentially Kai Havertz playing that attacking eight that starts from midfield and runs past our own striker in combination. Um, in that more fluid 4-1-4-1. But, uh, you know, we discussed it a little bit already, what Palmeiras did, you know, the pressing early, then backing off and parking the bus when they, you know, ran out of steam and and kind of realized that they can't get past Thiago and Rudiger. But two players that kind of had one of those, I, I want to call it the Marcos Alonso style game, where these two guys just were not good on paper but connected in the second half to give Chelsea the lead. And that's uh, Cho and Lukaku. So I, I want to start with Cho. And here's here's where, where I'm kind of like struggling. I don't think Cho has been very good recently. I thought this last game was even worse than his usual. But then he gets the assist. And this is where I think numbers can lie a little bit based on how many minutes the guy is getting. And for example, if you're pro Cho playing, there's a stat out there that Cho is actually leading Chelsea and chances created from open play. And I get it. Cho gets assists. He crosses the ball from the left side. All that is true. Would any player getting the amount of minutes that Cho is getting every single week at left wing be able to do the same thing? That's where I'm sitting right now. Like if if any of our other attackers were getting as consistent playing time as Cho at left wing, couldn't they be doing just as good, if not better, Zach? I mean, he's gotten the longest run of just straight up minutes. Doesn't matter where it is. I feel like he's gotten a fair shot at, you know, being one of our forward players. There is a sense of that. Um, I mean, everybody kind of knows where I stand. If you haven't listened to the pod before, I want him to succeed here. I just don't think it's the right environment for him. I think I think what we're asking him to do is a bit too much at this stage in his career. And I'm not saying that he can't do it at any other point because the kid's talent's through the roof. But that 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 assist on dress it was beautiful and it was beautiful because it was the only time all match where he received the ball and didn't think to himself oh i either 
have to keep it nice and tidy or I have to get it on my right foot. He just took a touch and played it. And I think he needs to look for that more because it's in his locker. He could play with both feet. You know, I remember when he was in the, the academy, they would always post on the Chelsea YouTube channel just random skills that, you know, of him juggling the ball at Cobham or, you know, doing some sort of dribbling drill. And the kid has ridiculous talent, ridiculous skill and technique. So you could play with your left foot, use it a little bit more. Now, now teams are going to have to start defending you differently. Now, when you're, you know, isolated against a, a fullback, they're going to have to start thinking about you blowing past them, not only on the right side, but now on the left side too. Now you might not only cut inside, but you could take them down the byline. It's it's just going to open up his game a little bit more. And to Lukaku's defense, this was the type of ball that he's been asking for. He's been right. asking for it to be played early because he is a striker that, especially at Inter, and I think this might be his gripe with Tuchel, is that he's not been playing in transition, as they like to call it, right? Mm-hmm. They haven't been. They, he doesn't have the opportunity to just ping it, and then he'll receive the ball two passes later in the 18-yard box. That's what he's used to, and that's what he expects. And it's pretty much what he got here in this situation, and it was really our only opportunity all game to do that. But, you know, we're not going to be playing in transition in the Premier League every week. That's the reality. You know, I think Liam Toomey... Uh, was the one that mentioned on a podcast this week that, you know, in terms of possession and chances created, Chelsea are up there with Liverpool and City. The difference is how efficient they are when, with their chances. Right. You know, in this game, I think we had, what was it, more than 15 shots off target. And how many shots did we have on target? Maybe three or four. You know, and, and, and it's. And this is a weekly thing. It's not a Palmeiras-specific yeah. thing. It's not that the guys are jet-lagged. We see this in the Prem. We see this in the FA Cup. We see this in Carabao and Champions League. Like yeah. This is kind of our, not style, but like the, this is just whatever the saying is. I don't even know. Like This is yeah. what you come to expect from this current Chelsea side. It's, it's this, this, is, this is Chelsea. Like This is the way we are. <laughs> like We just... We've been dealing with this since Diego Costa left, and then we were even dealing with this before Diego Costa came. Like, yeah, you know, it's it's just a matter of us finding that you know reliable number nine. You know, the the fortunately for us, we had a world beater in Hazard for ten years, but how often does that come along? Right, and and one thing you mentioned about Lukaku, I thought he was much better after he scored, and I was hoping that he we would continue to kind of feed him he like grew into the match and also he was just kind of a a mismatch against these center backs like I really thought that he was he was kind of growing into it and and causing a little bit more trouble so I was a little surprised to see him get subbed off whenever he did for for Timo Um, I I agree with you that this is kind of what Lukaku has been saying in terms of how we play him and and what we do and I and I still think that for some odd reason the only player that looks for Lukaku the way Lukaku is asking for in transition seems to be Kovacic where he tries to find him a little early when Lukaku's making the runs yeah uh I do think it got a little bit better at times uh whenever we were getting more comfortable in that 4-1-4-1 but yeah I think it's going to take a little bit more work. I do think that if he can score some more goals, we're going to start seeing him more. But he just needs to get involved a little bit earlier into the progression. You're right that right now he just seems to be 
how the play ends versus being part of the process to make the goal from the beginning. Like it, it, the way we build out from the back, it, you know, pass from the back three, maybe it goes to Jorginho or Kovacic, push it back out wide. Ziyech or Cho crosses the ball in. And Lukaku at this point is double marked the whole time inside the box. You know, it, we didn't get the ball into his feet, let him release and then make a run. It's just, okay, we do everything around him. And then eventually we try to get the ball into the box. Well, and, he- and, and that's not enough. He was also crap too, though. Like we're, I think we're giving him a little too much credit for the. No, no, don't get me wrong. I'm saying I'm not defending his play overall. I'm saying that, to an extent, like you can't. He's not uh, a Peter Crouch. He's not a a Giroud. That's okay with just. I'll be the finishing touch. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I'll be either the man that touches the ball last before we score or I'm the guy that scores because I'm just going to wait and, and kind of be a target man. Like that's not who he is. So I understand that little bit of frustration, not that Lukaku has been stellar on top of that. You know what I mean? Like he also needs yeah. to adapt a little because you mentioned it where we are top of the premier league. And unless it's a cup match, like we're, we're in the top four, unless it's a cup match, most teams at this point of the season are just going to park the bus and and scratch away at trying to get one point every time they play Chelsea. So not many teams are going to come to look and attack and be open. And yeah, I think that that's, that's why he's been struggling a little bit, but props to him because honestly, without Lukaku in this, this little tournament, we wouldn't have had the chance to win. He scored two, the two goals from open play in the tournament that got us to where we were. So while he wasn't great in 90 minutes, we still have to let him, you know, know that we appreciate the goals because we got the trophy. Yeah. He needs to stop confusing us, too. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of confusing and his bipolar social media, I mean, hours before kickoff, maybe maybe within the 24 hours of kickoff, he posted a cryptic black screen with text that said something along the lines of, if it doesn't fit, why should you force it or something like that? Yeah. And of course, in the current kind of environment that he's in, nobody's going to take that and say, oh, Lukaku, you know, maybe he he's talking about something not footballing related because he did spend 30 minutes speaking about his unhappiness at Chelsea. Like, what do you think is going through this guy's mind when posting that? I mean, the same thing everyone else was thinking. Really, dude? The, his self-awareness level is absolutely zero. <laughs> zero self-awareness. He has no idea how to how to read a room. <laughs> it's just it's it's crazy to me. I I was more pissed off than anybody when he posted this because. You know, it happened before the Man United match, which was an important one. And then now you're doing it before a fucking cup final. Yeah. You know, and and, and it's not only forget about how we're how we're going to feel about it as fans. What about how your boss is going to feel? Your teammates before the most your it's going to be your most important day on the job yet. And you go ahead and post that. If I did that. My boss would fire me before I even stepped foot on the field. He'd be like, what the fuck are you saying? What are you doing? 
it, it, it's just, I don't know. It's very bipolar. He didn't really celebrate the goal as much as, you know, somebody that actually wants to be here would. But then again, ah. you go to the dressing room and he's he's singing and dancing and partying with yeah. everybody. Posting I thought his with my brothers when he's with Ziesh and Cho. Like, it, it, he's just kind of all over the place, man. He, he posted a picture the of the squad after the game wrote gang on it. I mean, I, I I'm not making much of the celebration because I think he's well aware that he should be scoring more. So that's how I took it. Kind of like, okay, I did my job. I scored this goal. I need to score more. I didn't see it as like a don't touch me. I don't want to celebrate. Because the moment there's a camera pointing at the dugout during the penalties, and he is like an emotional mess. So that's where my follow-up question is before we get to Envard's uh, question. It's should we making – like, should we be making much of these posts that are cryptic? Like, is it, are we falling into kind of the media carousel or, or do we have the right to, to just interpret these kind of in a negative way because of the way he handled that interview? We have a total right to interpret these in a negative way, but at the same time, why the fuck is, should this even be a question to begin with? <laughs> you yeah, know, I, like it all that, falls on him. You know, just, right. just shut up. Just don't say anything. I, I was going to say, just pass on your social media to like, I remember, for example, Pedro had very automatic posts after every match. And it was like yeah. generic. You post a picture of yourself and it was like a great job team, blah, blah, blah. And it was obviously a PR person doing it. I think if Lukaku hands over the social media for a little bit and the narrative of this would have been, whoa, did you see how much he cared during Kai's penalty? It wouldn't have been like, why the heck is he? Because now, you know, there's always two sides of the story. A lot of people are saying, oh, well, he just recently broke up with his girlfriend. And that's in relationship to his, like, that the whole thing is in terms of his relationship. Don't okay. force a if relationship. If it is about your relationship, read the room. And then your following what? post, make it about Chelsea. Post a picture of yourself with, you know... With, with with Conte at training with your armor right. on or something. Or, or, or retweet, whatever. Yeah. yeah. But but we'll we'll go straight into Envard's <laughs> question. And he says, what's the dysfunction, more dysfunctional, troublesome pairing? A, Mel Gibson and sobriety. B, beer before liquor. C, Jon Snow and Daenerys. D, Kyrie and science. Or E, Lukaku and his phone. Seriously, what are we going to do with this guy? How does CFC... Or Tuchel proceed. I mean, this list is number one, Envard, hilarious. Thank you for the originality. But he's right. If like I said, if Lukaku doesn't have social media, we don't have a problem. Yeah, I think I think there's two solutions, Andres, and I learned this. Um, I learned one of them when I was getting my teaching credential. Um, you get cubbies, right? And then every time he shows up to training, he puts his phone in his cubby. But this time, you put his he puts his phone in the cubby, and then it has a trap door. And you open the trap door, phone falls in. Snakes. All oh. of a sudden. Oh, yeah. All of a sudden, he doesn't have a phone. Or or the other one is you hire a babysitter slash nanny, and he does, he's not allowed to have internet on his phone during the day. He's only allowed to call mom and dad with it so the cricket the cricket top four phone <laughs> yeah yeah out weird the, kids <laughs> the one that only has four buttons yeah um yeah 
I, I, there's no other solution. He's a grown-ass man. He should know better. And, you know, if he... I'm sure that every single legend, especially Drogba, who's, you know, he seems to be the close with, has told him the same thing. And he continues to do it. So, you know, homie, are, it, it comes down to two things. Are you going to ride your own wave and, and, you know, kind of create your own trends? Or are you just going to keep your head down and be a professional and start playing football again? You know, he does have two goals in two, which is great. My thing is, say whatever you want on social media, as long as you're bagging 20 goals a season. But you haven't even broken double digits yet. So, you know, or maybe he has, but barely. You really don't have a right to talk. That's kind of where I stand on it. Yeah, Drogba, you mentioned him. He came to, to Lukaku's defense. He acknowledged the interview and said that Lukaku's already on his way to to changing things up because of it. I mean, he referenced scoring in a cup final that led to victory. Drogba knows a thing or two about scoring in finals. I think at the end of the day, Drogba is, is trying to be part of the PR campaign that fixes Lukaku. Yeah, He's right. We do need to give credit to the guy for scoring in an elimination, back-to-back elimination matches. But now it needs to be about consistency with his level of play. Because that's what we keep saying, right? It, it just can't be about, oh, I scored, but I was trash for 90 minutes. There has to be at least a 7 out of 10 performance, and the goal is the extra. Mm-hmm. Or You have to play well. Because at the end of the day, what made Chelsea successful on top of the league wasn't the fact that we had one guy like Liverpool with Salah that's scoring all the goals is that we were a well-oiled machine that spread the joy and, and everybody was scoring. So we don't need Lukaku to score. We just need him to perform. Now, we're American. We alluded to it earlier. We didn't expect that Pulisic was going to start. I don't think any of us expected that. But he got to play most of the match because of Mount's unfortunate uh, injury. And... To be honest, I thought Luke Pulisic had one of his best games yet. Looked a little bit more confident than usual, even though he started on the right side. He had a chance created, was the most fouled player on the pitch. 87% pass success, 100% dribble success, and four ball recoveries. Zach, what did you think about Pulisic in this one? I think it was the best he's looked for Chelsea in a while. And I think this is something a lot of us have been wanting to see because... Like, we were all frustrated for one of two reasons. Either he was always getting injured or you're frustrated at him because he looks like a shadow of himself, you know, under Frank, especially where we saw some of his best football being played. So it's it's looking much better. Now that Mount got injured, I alluded to it earlier, there's an opportunity for Pulisic to maybe step in and shine and give us, you know, some important minutes. And one thing is certain with him is if you give him an extended run of minutes, he's going to get goals and he's going to get assists. So... You know, if he doesn't maintain his position in the squad, you know, it'll be either one because of his undoing or this is the this is the net positive scenario. If he stays out of the squad after this run, it'll be because Cho, Ziesh, Havertz or Timo, one of any one of those guys just stepped their game up that much and kept them out of the squad. So it's going to create more competition, I think having even less players fight for one position um, because they, they're they they're going to know that, you know, all of Mount's minutes are going to be dispersed between them. So right now yeah. the shoe in is Ziyech, but 
who's to say Pulisic can't can't do that as well? I mean, Pulisic can even do the role Mount was doing if it's a four-one-four-one. Because I yeah. do I do agree with you. I think Ziyech is the owner of the right side, and we'll get to him in just a second. To me, you know, Cho again didn't do so hot. Maybe he get now Pulisic gets to play his preferred position, which he's only gotten to do three times all year. People seem to forget that. And he does perform and give us the concrete stats when he's there. Two goals, one of them against Liverpool. And we're playing Crystal Palace next. Pulisic yeah. has scored every single match against Crystal Palace. Five times he's played Palace. Five times he's scored on them. Like five different occasions he has scored on them. He loves a day at Selhurst. Like, this is the perfect time for, for Tuchel to grant Pulisic a start at left wing. Mm-hmm. But um, we'll... We'll kind of keep it short with him because the guy who's been the man of the hour, kind of the man that ever since the, the calendar turned to 2022, Ziyech didn't start. And we've been just kind of praising him left and right, specifically about him on the right, and and how he's just kind of made this team be revolving around him. And he was an early sub against Al-Hilal, and then he didn't start. So I just wanted to ask you, like, why do you think that was the, the case this time around? Back three. I think Tuchel got spooked. And, you know, he, yeah. I think he had this idea in his mind that I want to play the cup final in the 3-4-3. It's a system we have the most mm-hmm. mileage in. It's the one that everybody's most familiar with. I can get three of my best defenders out there. We don't have a lot of fullbacks. This will kind of compensate for that. So naturally, Ziyech is the one that kind of steps out well now mason mount is gone i don't think you could run the three the the three four three effectively without mount ziesh right. could do it as a rotational guy every couple matches but you can't expect that energy output out of ziesh two three times a week like mount does so um i think i think the solution would be to go back to a back four whether it's a four one four one or the four four two or any variation of that four four two that we saw before who knows but the point is we got to get Ziyech in. Um, and I think especially without Mount, who, you know, we talk about his defensive side, but he's also been arguably our best attacker too. So that's another thing that Ziyech can can also provide and that he has provided in since 2022. So it'll be a good opportunity for him, man. I'm, I'm against – if, if Ziyech starts against Palace, I'll put my money down that he probably scores. You know, just kind of riding off of the coattails of that, you know, being omitted from the cup final. Ziyech is the type of player that will, you know, step in and play pissed off. And we know he's walking around with a swagger right now, especially. And that's a scary Ziyech. Yeah, I actually wasn't even thinking about that. You make a really good point because I've said in this system he's not his best. I was thinking maybe it might just be built up fatigue. And and we know that he was injured at the beginning of the season. And because he's been playing so well and, and a lot of tough matches coming up, you maybe overprotect Ziyech thinking that this match wasn't going to be as hard. Um, but this brings me straight to Kendall Higa's question. He asks, do you think Ziyech and Pulisic would be best served in opposite flanks? One wants to hold and create, one twos, but the other likes p- space to put long balls into the box. And this is what I've argued from the beginning. I think you need different style of players in the wings. That's why I've always argued when Hazard and William were here that Pedro was a better foil 
And Pulisic on the left gives Ziyech yet another person to cross the ball to. So, Zach, what do you think? Uh, I, I like that idea a lot. I think I think it's more important to say that Ziyech should be playing with a striker as opposed to that, you know, more fluid front three that we played with last year. Last season, it made sense why he was omitted because, you know, this is a guy that just wants to cross the ball like fucking crazy. Um, so... Yeah, I don't know. It's uh he definitely he definitely needs to be playing on the right side. I think that's a given. We've seen him play on the left side and Pulisic play on the right side for some fucking reason, and I don't really know. But um if he's playing on the right side and we have a proper striker on the pitch, good things are gonna happen eventually. And and I think that was part of what Ziesh and Lukaku were arguing about before. And it was weird when they when with the substitutions as well. We subbed Ziesh for uh, for Timo, or and Lukaku came off in that round of substitutions as well. And then we Ziesh immediately starts playing these beautiful crosses into the box, and Lukaku's not in the game anymore. <laughs> right. So if you can get those two on the pitch together, it's gonna happen. You know, eventually they'll click. I think. If yeah. if and that's a big if if Lukaku is you know really invested in this. I think you mentioned Ziyech might score against Palace. I think that if Kendall gets the dream and the the the, with the scenario he's creating here in this question, a Ziyech to Pulisic goal happens. Because, again, I, I say it time and time again, Ziyech wants the back post, and Pulisic runs through walls to get to that back post. So that's my kind of big, big prediction going into the weekend. Now, we can't get through this game without talking about Kai Havertz. I mean, at, at 22 years old, he's now been responsible for Chelsea's Champions League winning goal and now the Club World Cup winning goal. So I I don't think he had the very... I think he was gassed and somehow got like a little bit of a, a second win there at the, end of the ma- at the end of the match. But the guy is the, a man for the occasion. <laughs> the joke is that if Roman Abramovich is in the stands, Kai Havertz is going to be worth every penny of his price tag. Yeah, he's uh he's he's become a legend, I think. And it's funny because he hasn't even popped as a player. Like he hasn't even scratched its, the surface of his potential here. Um but he scored, you know, the two most important goals for us in the last two seasons up to up to this point. So I, I think mean, the guy's I, I think the guy's legend status and I still think I think next season Andres is it's we keep saying that next season's the one for him but you know he kind of came down with covid injuries you know mix of both and I just think next season's going to be the one where he absolutely pops I hope you're right I think again we're we're still trying to get this squad to fit what Tuchel really wants to do I still am not sold that the 343 is is truly what Tuchel wants to do if, if he had a choice. But uh, in terms of Kai Havertz, man, like he's still only 22. And I know, I think I let myself forget that because we paid so much money for him and, and the amount of talent that there is within this player. But just because he's not banging in goals right now doesn't mean that he he's not going to be able to do that. Like he's got the the clutch gene now it's a matter of him being somebody you can count on 
week in and week out. And I think that's tough on a 22-year-old. I think there was no expectation for him to do that at Leverkusen, which gave him more freedom, less less pressure to have mistakes, which also kind of allows him to try crazier things, which leads to more system or goals. So slow and steady, I, as long as the confidence keeps building, the 4-1-4-1, I still think, will allow us to play Kai next to Mount in a lot of scenarios. A 4-4-2 with him next to Lukaku could be dually beneficial to both him and Lukaku. I mean, there's there's possibilities out there, and I'm just glad Kai Havertz is on our side. But you can't talk about Kai's big moment without talking about Aspie. And Ron asks, how gangster was Aspie? gassing the keeper and I and I'm ex- I think he means the the whole penalty moment because yeah. we get the penalty in the 117th Aspie takes the ball immediately Palmeiras players are swarming into the box berating Aspie talking to the ref causing a scene trying to get into his head and this happens for a few minutes the ref finally gets all the players out of the box and at this point Aspie leaves the box, gives the ball to Kai, who now has all the peace and quiet to put the ball down and slot it home. And the craziest part about all this is that it was planned from the beginning. Aspie was quoted saying, like, after the match, that the moment the whistle blew, he looked over to Kai and and let him know that he was going to be taking the penalty. And, you know... Aspie knew that this was going to happen. He knew he expected them to do this. And at first I was like, you know, I wonder, I don't think that he would have watched tape, but the reason he knew this would happen is because we as a club do this. Chelsea love to swarm the player that's taking the pen. And it, it takes a high level of football IQ to realize that in a big game situation, somebody's going to do that to you. So I, I just think that was, so dope it's kind of like when um how you know kneeling behind the wall on a free kick became a thing like it's like now it's fashionable to do that i think aspie started a new trend with this i think we're going to start seeing it a lot more It's, it's smart it's really really fucking smart um yeah i think i think in terms of uh just where this ranks in aspie moments i mean this is definitely up there for sure yeah, this this goes up with uh, there was a volley goal he scored against Leicester, I think, to keep us in in a cup at one point. Yep. Mm-hmm. That that's up there for me. The assist to Mishibachuai to win the league. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, this one this one to me just capitalizes the the leadership aspect because to me Aspie has always been more of a leader by example, not a leader by you know action like actual actions you can pinpoint. Yeah. But but this is definitely one of them, and. And I mean, it's no secret that he's out of contract this season and he's yet to have a meeting with Marina. Apparently, he's trying to figure out what the role would be if he were to sign a new contract. I personally think he's going to be leaving because he does want to make a push for the World Cup in December. And and I don't think those minutes are going to be waiting for him here anymore. Uh, Not because I don't rate Aspie, I just think. We all know Reese James is the main man at right back. So I just think it's time to kind of look back at his legacy 
and he is officially the only Chelsea player to have every major trophy for Chelsea. And I mean, it's it's fair to ask Zach, where is he in your Chelsea pantheon? I, I kind of went on a tangent last pod where I basically said that in at least the Roman era, he is easily now in the same level to JT and Lampard. I 100% agree. And I think that's the only era me and you could really speak on, right? Yeah. Um, because that's really the only era that we were able to watch Premier League football in here in the States. So I don't think it's really fair for us to talk about, you know, the Osgoods, the, you know, the the Pat Nevins, you know, all of the great players that played for Chelsea, uh, you know, in years past. Um, but this is uh, I think he's definitely up there on on par with them. And he's not he's not just a cult hero. He's a he's an out and out legend. Um, he'll be he'll be working for Chelsea again in a suit and tie. In a couple of years, for sure. I'd love that. But yeah. Michael Conan asked the tough question. Rank the club captains. Aspie versus JT. I mean, JT's always going to be number one for me. I, I think I agree still. I mean, JT's Mr. Chelsea for a reason. Like that nickname, captain, leader, legend. I think JT didn't get to win the Club World Cup, but the period of success that this club had through the many, many, many managers, I think you have to give... JT still a little bit more credit because he was able to manage the locker room. Like say what you want that these managers would come in, but somebody had to keep the players at bay. And I think JT alongside those other players, we always name, you know, your Peter check, your Frank Lampard, your DDA Drogba. You have to give credit to that level of leadership to where every other season, a new manager was in charge and you were still winning major trophies. But yeah, Behind JT in terms of captains, like true captains, obviously Aspie's next. JT, JT without a doubt was a better leader, but I think Aspie, Aspie's resume just speaks for itself. Aspie's resume is the reason why he's there. And I think with JT, there's more individual actions, moments, things that are actually tangible that we can think about um, where we say, oh yeah, I remember when he did that, you know, FA Cup Tottenham. Uh, 90, 95th minute equalizer against Everton, you know, just the constant shit housing, all of, all of that. You know, there's way more moments that I have with JT than I have with Dave, but Dave is just, he's a god. He's a god yeah. here. Re- yeah. re- regardless of where you rank them, we agree that Aspie is is in the same conversation now. Like there is no, you know, oh he might be in the Ivanovich kind of level no 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 he's up there like he is top tier he was before Tuchel came in and now he's full-on legend it's solidified like there is no argument now there's no debate but uh we'll we'll go we'll finish strong with our twitter questions uh we'll start with at wilson for usa he asks i don't really have a question about the play it was bad and good and we won his question for the pod is was craig burley even good for chelsea for how much he hates our club so if you've been living under a rock, Craig Burley, who works for ESPN, uh, came out and said that while Chelsea were out there playing and celebrating winning a plastic cup, Man City is doing what big clubs do and expanding their lead to something like 18 points in the Premier League. And here's what I got to say. Number one, Craig Burley was no nobody at Chelsea. He was employed at Chelsea. <laughs> he got to play next to Hullet 
and that's the biggest positive of his career. The guy uh, was responsible, I believe, for a major mistake during an FA Cup final. And then in the next FA Cup final, he was benched um, because of bad performances. And ever since, apparently, he's been bitter towards Chelsea. I, I never got to see the guy play. I just know that his subheader on ESPN FC is that he's a former Chelsea player. And I think that's the only reason he even got a job. I don't think his playing career did that for him. I think that he came across the pond where Americans were naive. They're trying to get into soccer. And they're like, oh, Chelsea's a good team today. This guy used to play for Chelsea. They hired him. And now the guy spews shit on ESPN, a major network, all the time. So if you're a listener who isn't from the States, believe me, none of us on this side of the world believe that this guy speaks any truths. So he's an actual, like, he's a joke. Americans don't even watch ESPN FC. Yeah. ESPN FC is the the American, you know, footballing punditry go-to, quote-unquote. Yeah, no, I just put it this way, Andres. The only time, the first time I heard who Craig Burley was, was when he was a pundit. So I never heard about I never heard any ancient legends. I never heard about, you know, any uh, any stories of important goals or important moments or nothing. I, n- I didn't even know the guy existed until, you know, one day I turned on ESPN FC and I said, oh, that guy played for Chelsea. And then yeah. like you, I looked him up and quickly realized he's just a nobody that likes to talk a lot of shit who's sitting up there with a bunch of other nobodies who like to talk shit. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, ESPN FC, baby. Yeah. If you can't tell, uh, we're big fans. Yeah, we love their coverage. Love <laughs> it. Um, I haven't sent them. Yeah, I. A lot of my negative tweets are are directed to their staff. But anyway, next question comes from a first timer. Actually, B Pesci CFC, and correct us if I said that wrong, uh, on socials. But he asks, I would make an argument that we don't win any of these trophies without the signing of Thiago Silva. His presence and leadership go beyond the game, and I think he's been instrumental to our success. And, Zach, I'm going to steal this from you, but I'll give you credit. Thiago Silva is a Brazilian JT in terms of a presence in the locker room. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. I think PSG made the biggest mistake of their lives, and we just were handed just a, a treasure. This man is a treasure. He just has such a calming presence on the pitch defensively, yet he can be such a threat uh, in any set piece. I mean, he's a difference maker. He comes in, we're Champions League winners. He comes in, we're Club World Cup winners. It's as simple as that. I think um, in our generation, Andres, and just for those of you wondering, we're in our late 20s. he he he's he's in the top three, top five, for sure. Center. And I think and I think you could yeah. And I think you could even make an argument that he's even a level above that just because he's done that in multiple leagues now. We've seen him do it in Italy, France, and now he's done it in the toughest league at the toughest stage of his career, which is even more wild. So yeah. I, I would argue if, if if the generation that ended with Rio and Vidic and Terry, if, if Thiago Silva was maybe just on the, on the up and coming when that generation kind of closed off, in this next generation of, of center backs, I'd say Thiago Silva 
Tiago Ramos, there with, PK. Yeah, exactly. Tiago and Ramos. Uh, that that's the the Parthenon to me. Like those are the top two guys, and and the rest are are maybe a step or two below that. Yeah. Um, I because then what you have Mats Hummels maybe and and Veron. So so those are. Yeah, I would say he's top four of his batch, and and he. No, no, no. You you got 10. you got Benucci and Chiellini. Fair, fair. Yeah, yeah, Benucci and Chiellini, and again, those are those are other guys that are in their mid to late thirties and still doing their thing, man. They just right. won the Euros, as they were the best center back duo we've seen in years at that tournament. They were insane together. Yeah, I'd say Thiago is is easily top ten, and I'd say. Maybe I'm sticking my neck out in both generations, in both JTs and the current one, yeah. because he was killing it at AC Milan when it was him and Nesta. So mm-hmm. yeah. when I said I mean, top five, I was referring to to his generation and JT's generation as the same generation. Got it. So you know him, JT. I mean, they're definitely probably one A, one B. You can't go wrong with either. And then there's sort of, I I think him, JT, and I and I really do think you maybe you put Chiellini there just because of the longevity, but then there's everyone else. <laughs> and, you know, that's the thing. For sure. Just and and our last question is from our, our friend from Valencia, CFC Ronnie. He asks, well, or not even asks, he just kind of says, well, we've won a big, another big trophy. Incredible. Still playing well below ourselves. Yes, Ronnie. Thanks for the reminder. Um, I did say no matter how poor we're playing, this could be a special season, and it's looked good so far. Three more to go for so he's referring to the Carabao Cup, FA Cup, and I'm assuming the Champions League because the league's a little far. Yeah. So he's a just because we're not we're not quite done is what I think Ronnie's saying, and I think the squad is fully aware of that. Just later this month, we should be competing and hopefully beating Liverpool to another cup, and then come later towards May, hopefully we're still in in the running for two more finals. So yeah. It's, a, it's exciting seasons, guys. I think we're a little bit past the COVID scares in, in our team. I think that, that that kind of illness bug is is, a, is gone now that everybody's kind of managed through the, the newest variant of COVID. And, uh, yeah, I think it's a full steam ahead once again going into the, the Champions League. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know, I, know we're, I know we're over time, but, like, how are we feeling about palace we got a week weekend honestly like like i'm i i just i don't know i feel really really confident about this i think we can win comfortably especially because conor gallagher can't play against us (laughs) yeah i mean we were talking off air before but but he is definitely um their best midfielder but andres i'm just gonna stick my neck out there and i'm gonna go uh 2-0 what do you think I say the same thing. I think Pulisic gets on the scoreboard. That's my big prediction. Nice. Well, let's hope that happens. And until next week, make sure you guys are following us on Twitter at Romans Empire Pod. Um, for those of you that didn't listen to our last episode, Andres decided to do a solo pod. Make sure you guys listen to it. We want the feedback. We're thinking about doing something with a similar format, maybe not a solo thing, but uh, just a shorter format pod for the less significant midweek matches. Um, and until next week, Keep the blue flag flying high.